0: Father, we just come to you this morning, we just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father, thank you, Lord. We plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Over the ministry of the word, let every hindrance be moved in Jesus' name. Go before us, Lord. May your spirit make a way for everyone to hear, Lord. Because without the hearing of the word, there can be no faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I pray and I come against every hindrance to the ministry of the word of God. We bind the powers of darkness, the spirit of air. And everybody working in cahoots with the enemy. To stop the word of God going forth in any form, anywhere in the world, through any servant. Bind the work of the enemy. We release the word of God. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of God. Oh, Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. We commit this day into thy hands. Go with us. Go before us. And let your word go forth and touch each one. For it brings healing. It brings health. It brings deliverance. It brings life. It brings strength, and it brings power. Oh, Father, we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. So we welcome a new person into our midst today. (laughs) After a long time. (laughs) Uh, So it's nice to have you. (laughs) Nice to have you, You I'm not mentioning your name, everybody will tease you through the day, so, but nice to see you after a long time, and uh, we just thank God for all of you who are here and all who are listening online, and uh, we go back to the book of Nehemiah, we are in chapter 6, and we saw in chapter 6, we understand through the study of the word, we have enemies, three primary enemies. One in, two out, and we learn the wiles of the enemy. We learn the devil, his ways. We learn how the world operates and how the flesh operates. And the world, all these are our enemies, and we need to know each one of these enemies. The world, like if you talk about the world, it's image after image after image bombarded into our eyes and our ears until we are not able to distinguish the true from the false. Because that's why the world is, is bombarding us with the false. And they make it look so good that we are not able to understand, distinguish between the false and the true. And Unless we go into the word and the word alone, we will not be able to understand. In the same way, the flesh. The flesh has partaken of both good and evil. The flesh is evil only. Okay, then it's easy. Of course, there is no good in the flesh. But remember, the flesh became flesh because it partook of the tree of good and evil. Until then, the flesh was not alive. The minute Adam and Eve partook of that tree, that's when the flesh comes alive and it has partaken of good. So again, we are contending with the flesh. And the flesh, the more spiritual you try to be, the more good the flesh tries to be. And you're caught in this trap with the flesh. And of course the devil. And we saw yesterday, he will come as the angel of light. If he came with his two horns and his tail like the Onida had, then your pride is the neighbor's envy. No? But he doesn't come like that. Okay, so... We understand the wiles of the enemy or we are learning the wiles of the enemy. The hatred of the enemy for God, God's people and the work of God and the persistence of the enemy. And that's where we have to be aware of the persistence. He did not even leave Jesus alone. He was waiting for an opportune time. When he could not attack him directly, he was consistently attacking him through people. Everywhere where Jesus went, you will see the enemy was there active. Even in those 12 disciples who was with him till almost till the end, there was one who was working for the enemy. So he never left him alone, but he was waiting for a moment. So we need to understand that. So we looked at chapter 6, and today we will just look at two verses, two or three verses. We'll read from verse 15 till the end. 16, yeah, 15 to 19. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Ilul, in 52 days. And when it happened, when all our enemies heard of it, And all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. We'll first look at these two verses. So the impossible becomes possible, 52 days, okay? And if you go back, months back, not where we began, but months back where it had started with one man in Susa hearing the news, it looked impossible. So the primary lessons we have to learn is that we have to overcome fear with faith and we have to overcome deception with discernment. These are the two things the enemy will bring against us. Primary weapons, he will use deception and he will use fear. Those who cannot be deceived, he will try to intimidate them. Okay, so fear and deception. The answer to fear is faith and the answer to deception is discernment. And we had seen in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Because we have to look at it. Then only we will suddenly look, what? You could actually finish this in 52 days? Work that was never done for years together? And The reason is God is speaking to us. He's not speaking to the Jews, he's speaking to us. mean, you could actually build the walls of your salvation in 52 days? 52 weeks, one year, teaching. And you've been in the Lord for so many years, and the walls are still not up, gates are still not hung. Yes, when we all came, this was the state, our state. I went out by night through the valley gate, to the serpent well, and the refuse gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. Its gates were burned with fire. I went to the fountain gate, to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal to pass. The rubble was so high that the animal couldn't even... I mean, that was the state of our life. Broken-down structures we were when we came to Jesus. And we see the picture in the New Covenant. There were absolute broken-down structures like Mary. Seven demons, absolutely, totally possessed, gone. And then we see her sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. Sound, listening to the word. We see her hearing what even the disciples did not hear. We see a passion in her which we do not see in others. You know why? Because this work can be done. And it doesn't take much time. Okay. We make excuses for what actually can be done. And that's why we have to look at where they began and actually how fast they finished. Because there was one man who was determined that we are going to finish this Work. And then look at verse chapter four and verse ten. This is when the work is going on. The other one before the work, and while the work is going on, Judah, the fellow who is supposed to lead in battle. The the main tribe, Judah, the kingly tribe, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish we are not able to build the wall. Okay? How it began? In the middle of it, the desperation. But 52 days later, the wall is over. Okay. So I, that's what I'm talking about. One man literally stood in the breach and he refused to give up. Okay. Refused to give up. And this, we'll come to that at the end. This is one of the most important characteristics in the kingdom of God. We need to persevere. We need to persevere because people quit so fast in anything. People quit Anywhere even in the world, if you see people who are really successful, it's because they refuse to quit. But how much more in eternal things. Paul talks about how people run for a perishable crown and to the level of commitment and sacrifice and everything. You wait for a few weeks and months and later, you will see Tiger Woods coming back to play. After that accident where I think both his legs were broken and everything, they will come back to play. You know? And they it is for... <laughs> A temporary crown, a little fame, a sport. And Paul says that's what people in this world do for a perishable crown. Well, we are running for a crown that is eternal, imperishable. And that is what we are looking at. The, because people quit so fast. That is why he said we have to learn to change. It's like an old book somebody had written. I forgot whose name. I think the title of the book is, it was who changed the price tags. It so begins with a, a humorous story about a set of uh, four young boys breaking into a supermarket in the night and they change the price tags of every item there. The expensive one, they put the cheap ones. And the cheap ones, they put ex- Next day when the supermarket opens and everything is open, the salespeople have no idea. After some time, somebody discovers. He starts phoning up everybody. After that, it is chaos and mayhem. And people don't know what to do. Because everybody is running around. You see a washing machine for two dollars. You see a television set with plasma for one dollar. And then you go to buy sugar, it is hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> everybody is going crazy. And that's the question the preacher asks. Who got into the Bible and into the church and changed the labels? That what is valuable, we made cheap. And what is cheap in the kingdom of God, we made it value. And you see what? People are pursuing things in the world which have no value in eternity and ignoring the things which have incredible value in eternity. Okay? And that's the question God is asking. What is that we value? Like we said, we value faith. Yes. Do we value love? Do we value hope? Do we value patience? Do we value perseverance? These are all important things because ultimately when we stand before God and we are being marked for eternity, for our crowns, we will see only these things value. Only these things value. And old days remember, uh, I mean, our days and all, you remember there's one important, the uh, class 10 board exam results come. Was one thing that mattered which your principal entered, that was your character. That will come from the board. That didn't come from the board. That came from the principal. So even if he had first class and distinction, if you wrote bad or satisfactory, it would affect your career all your life. That's what Everybody will look at such what? You could such marks. Your character is suspect. Your character is suspect. And we are very, very careful about it. To get good or very good. And some play, some students I know, he just wrote satisfactory. It didn't matter what their marks were, because he looked at their entire life in school. I still remember my principal, Babu Jetson. Okay. He was tough cookie. He taught biology too. He was a tough cookie. And, you know, you couldn't move him from that character part. He gave you what you deserved there. Okay. In the board exam, you were a number. But with the principal, you were an individual. Okay, And that's what God is talking about. You are an individual for me. Remember what you are running for. And remember what you will be evaluated for ultimately. You won't be evaluated for what the world evaluates you. You will be evaluated ultimately for your character. And you will realize something happens here. In 52 days, something impossible became possible, which had been lying there in ruins for years and years and years and years. Nobody was thinking, everybody gave up on that project. You know why? Because one man came. And one man came and he stood there and he overcame. So we talk about all the, all the, what you say, all the, uh, crowns are for overcomers. Every promise in the book of Revelation is for the overcomers. And the final promise in Revelation 22 and verse 6 or 7, it says, He who overcomes all will, in, in overcomes will inherit all and he shall be my son and I shall be his God, his father. Okay. So overcoming, that's the fundamental. We are not learning salvation here. We are post salvation lessons here. So the first thing you will see, why did he overcome? Why he was able to do something the others were not able to do? Answer, 6.3. The perspective. Because our perspective will determine our progress. I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? What is the first thing? He saw the work that he was doing as a great work. This is a great man from a great city. Serving a great emperor, but he saw the work of building the walls of Jerusalem, a city of reproach, a city full of poor people, as a great work. Okay. okay, please remember this. As an individual this thing, and as a personal work. The church is full of the poor. The poor, the blind, the lame, the destitute, the rejected of the world. And we are building the kingdom of God is basically building these people. And we need to realize that work is a very great work. We look at the IPS officers, we look at the IAS officers, we look at cabinet ministers, and oh, they are doing a great work. And nobody sees the work in the church as a great work, and therefore we miss our perspective, and therefore we do not progress. Nehemiah, who actually had a great work. That's why Rombar when he was said, we will send these letters to the king and we will report to the king. He wasn't very bothered. One of the reasons he was not bothered because he knew the king and the king knew him. See, you cannot be- become a cupbearer unless you are absolutely trusted by the king. He had the king's trust. Meaning the king knew him very well. You no, know, He was somebody who was very close to the king with whom ultimately the king starts talking. You know, I remember the story of an emperor or, of France. I'm not very sure who, which country it was. And one of the person, the emperor always share his heart was with his barber. Because every month he comes to give the haircut. And the barbers talk. And you talk to the barber. Okay? And there's only one barber cuts the king's hair. Imagine twelve months. Years and years and years. One man, okay? He comes and the king gets close to him. And he talks state subjects. With the barber. And the barber gives on the spot advice to the king. Very practical from the road street. This is what the people are going through. This is what he need to do. Why? Because the barber has the ears of all the people who come to cut his hair. And the king listens to this man. His advice is very good. Okay, so here is a cupbearer. And he's a cupbearer of the emperor. The emperor knows him well, he knows the emperor well. So when they said we'll report to the king, he's not very much bothered. He says it's a lie. King knows me. <laughs> He's very confident. So these are fundamental lessons we need to realize when we are threatened by the enemy and through God, through men and the enemy directly. Do we have the confidence of our king? You can do whatever you want. Today also I got a threat. They hacked into my mail and said, "Invite me to the circle. Come. You'll pay every bill of yours." I said, "Go to the abyss, you fool." That's exactly what I wrote. Repent or perish. You know. What are you trying to invite us to? We know your end. Yes, we struggle in this life, but we know our end also. You are a fool. You don't know your end, where you are going. You are looking at all your prosperity and think this is forever. And you are looking. It's like as I was talking about going to the house of God and then we understood the end of the weekend. Is it working? Okay, no? Okay. So we need to have that perspective. Remember this. Our perspective will determine our progress. Okay? Why was Paul the most definitely? If not the most, one of the most successful servants of God. You cannot hear? It's working? Yeah. Sami, on the job, okay? You are the expert, troubleshooter. Hmm? Okay, these are all your apprentices, okay? Remember. Hmm? (laughs) Okay, okay. Each department, you need to realize who is the boss. Okay, Pastor Vijay has a PhD in robotics, but when it comes to live streaming, Sami is the boss. Okay, don't worry. okay. When it comes to robotics, Pastor Vijay is the boss. So please remember, departments are different, our expertise are different. Okay, when it comes to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is the boss. There are no bosses on earth, okay. So why is Paul the most successful successful if you look, listen you uh, listen to his first letter to the church in romans in chronological order in chapter 1 verse 14 and 16 he says three i am's there that is the key the three i am's romans 1 14 15 and 16 he says i am a debtor both to greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and to the unwise okay? he says i am a debtor. i owe it to everybody This fundamental lesson we forget. Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength and love your neighbor. And God talks about this. The simple thing is that, you know what, God doesn't need my service. There's nothing I can do for God. He's self-sufficient himself. So how do I love God? I love God only by serving my neighbor. There's no other way I can serve God. There's absolutely no other way I can serve. He doesn't even need my praises. I need to praise him. He doesn't need my worship. I need to worship him. He doesn't need my service. What can I do for God? Nothing. He says, the very proof that you love me is that you love your neighbor. The very proof that you serve me is that you serve my people. And that's what he's talking about. I am. Looking at what he has done for me, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the Barbivans, to the wise and to the unwise, the cultured and the uncultured. And then he says, so as much as is in me, I am ready. With my whole heart, whole strength, everything that is within me, I am always ready. I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And for, third one, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The three I ams of, of Paul. I am a debtor to everybody to preach the gospel. Because that's the only way I can love God. That's the only way I can serve God. Second, I am ready with everything that he says, every place I go. This is what I was talking on Saturday. Don't lose your passion. You are passionate in certain settings. Paul was not like that. Paul is an intellectual. But he was not only passionate with intellectuals. He could be passionate with the most simple people. He could go down to their level and preach the gospel at their level and be equally passionate with them. That's what he says. I am all things to all people. You know, we cannot be passionate to categories. Oh, I am, I am upper class, so I will be only passionate. Some people say I have a, I have a, I am from the Brahmin background, so I have a passion for Brahmins, which is good. I understand. That's from where you are. I understand that. That's where you are. So definitely you will have a passion for them. But he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he has passion for the Jews. He has a passion for the Gentiles. He's an intellectual. Intellectual giant he is. And the kings talk about that. Your wisdom has driven you crazy, Paul. But he's passionate for the unwise. He's very cultured, very refined. So he can sit and hold a plate and a cup and use fork and spoon with the Greeks. And he can also eat with the barbarians. That's what he's talking about because the passion is driving, driving him. He's driven with his passion to serve God. And we need to understand these are the people on whose shoulders the kingdom of God was built. And that is Nehemiah. Think about Nehemiah. He is the king's cupbearer, the greatest empire on planet earth, the king's cupbearer. So he himself is living in a palace. He has his own palace. And he's lying in the trench with the workers, day and night, changing his clothes only when they go to bed. He's working with them. Lying and sleeping in the trenches, where to where, because why? He's very passionate about the, about. And Pastor Vijay will talk about his passion for his riches. 365 days in the lab. That was passion. Right? We were literally bookworms. We lived in the library. And in summer, we loved the library even more to escape the heat. Yeah, so yes, yes. Oh, nice, like some of these old days our I.t. workers. Oh, sometimes they want to work overtime. They don't want to come home because it's central Lace. But that is not this man's passion. His passion is that you know what? you sent me wherever you want. I am passionate for you. I'm ready anywhere, anybody you sent me. And third thing you will see that is that he's not ashamed of the gospel. And sometimes we are ashamed, like I said on Saturday, oh, I don't know when, one of these days, I said, "Yeah, I think at church on a Sunday, two Sundays back, I said, you see, unbeliever is not ashamed of his religion or his God, though there is nothing in it. Okay. Yet, we sometimes are very ashamed of Christ. ashamed of Christ. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, to preach this gospel. Meaning, what does he say? The... What does he mean by that? No, sometimes we are ashamed or we are hesitant because we do not believe in the power of the gospel. He has experienced the power of the gospel. And he has experienced that in his preaching too. So he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for why? For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greeks. So here is a man who has come from Susa, from Babylon. And we know about Babylon. We know the empire, Babylonian empire. We know about Dalian and Nebuchadnezzar. It is considered one of the wonders of the world. The city is fantastic, mind blowing Compared to Babylon, Jerusalem is nothing. On top of that, it's been destroyed. But he's not ashamed of Jerusalem. He's not ashamed of Jerusalem. He's not ashamed to lie in the trenches and work to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He's not ashamed. Of Jerusalem, so you see, the passion is the same, though they are separated by hundreds of years. The passion of God's people in the kingdom of God was always the same. They were zealous for God, they were zealous for God's people, and they were zealous for the cause of Christ. No, like when we look at our uh, web, not webpage, our YouTube, that first picture that comes, Sammy has put it there. Is there not a cause? That is a zealous young teenager who comes to the field when all of Israel is hiding from Goliath. He says, is there not a cause? And that's, that's the whole thing God is talking about. How do you see the work of the, a work of salvation? How do we see this work of salvation? No? Look at the reaction of the enemies in verse 16. and it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God God is saying if the devil were to see my work in you would he be disheartened or would he be excited how do we see the work of salvation in our own lives how do we see you need to understand what salvation is. The second part of salvation, we are saved from the penalty of sin. The second one is the power, the sanctification part of it. How we are the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. So we have two people. One is the Spirit, the other is Satan. The enemy of God, the enemies of God. When they see the work of God in us, will they be disheartened? For they perceived, you know what? This work is done by God. Done by God. That's the question God is asking. And that's the principle we are looking at it. And how do we see? Because Ephesians 2.10 says that. Very clearly, Two ten, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. There are two things here. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. First, we are the workmanship. What is it? The work God is doing in us. And second is the work... God is doing through us. The first one should touch the second one. You can do the second one without being touched by the first one. That's why wherever you look in the Bible, if you talk about truth, he will bring love there. If he brings faith, he will bring love there. Ephesians will say, speak the truth in love. Nothing counts. Galatians 5, 6 but faith working through love. So you can have works of faith with no love. That's why 30, um, Corinthians um, 13, the first five verses are saying that if you don't have love, all your works are worthless, absolutely worthless. So that's first the work that God is doing in us. Do we have patience? Do we have long suffering? Do we have the characteristics of God? And then do the work which God prepared for each one of us. Like I said, it doesn't matter what it is. If That's a work God prepared for you to do. It's a great work. Like I said about Dorcas, all she had was a needle and a thread. It brought her back to life. Because when she died, everybody was showing the apostle her works. What could she do? Make clothes. That's all she could do. Make clothes. And Peter looked at that, sent them all outside and said, get up. And she came back to life. And what do you think she did after that? Continued making clothes. And she will be always remembered. Okay? Always remembered. And we don't know. Did, was that old clock Paul said asking Timothy to bring, was it stitched by some Dorkas? Otherwise, who is gonna do this? Who's gonna do this? You see, everybody's hand is in the kingdom of God. Because what are they doing? If you look in the book of Acts, they're all pooling their resources into the kingdom of God. Okay, so everybody is taking their gift and adding it. So what Dorcas is saying, okay, I don't have money to give. Uh, you know what I can do? I can save a lot of money for others by stitching clothes for them. And she makes it and gives it. And Paul will sing, Peter will say, oh good, I don't have to buy clothes this year. You know, what Dorcas has given me two pairs and that's enough. So that money can be put into something else. Everybody is involved in the kingdom of God. And God says, you know what, everything will be counted. That's why he said, even if you give a cup of cold water to a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. You know why? Because you are doing the work of God. And that's why we don't take anything lightly. And no work should be considered light. It is a great work. And that's what Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the emperor, says, I'm doing a great work. If you read that in isolation, if somebody reads the first chapter and reads this line alone, he'll say, oh, he's a of the emperor. He's doing a great work. I wonder what he's doing in Susa. Then he reads and says, oh, he's building a wall in Jerusalem. He didn't consider that as a great work. He considered this as a great work. Okay? Meaning you may be an IAS officer. Of course, your work has great prominence in the country. But maybe you may be an usher in the church. What do you consider a great work? What will you consider a great work? Okay. What do you consider a great work? And that's the simple thing God is talking about, okay. He's a cupbearer, and these are perspectives. Okay. So the question is, second thing Nehemiah did, first thing he knew had his perspective very clear, Psalm 138 verse 2. 138 verse 2. The second part of verse 2. You have magnified your word above all your name. Right? For you have magnified your word above all. one thing God has magnified everything. Above everything, that is his word. See, this man was a man of the word of God. Okay. Many of our situations we run into confusion because we do haven't magnified his word. We do things in his name and then run into trouble because we didn't bring his word over there. But the word reveals who he is. The ways of God are revealed in the word of God. So if you come to Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 9, they are in captivity, their city is gone, they are living in reproach, yet he knows his word. Because I know you said, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as the dwelling for my name. So he knows, even though Jerusalem is destroyed, the people are living in distress and the people have been scattered, God's promise still lies with Jerusalem. He still calls it my dwelling and still says my name is upon that city. So if you go and do a work there, it's a great work. And God's promise is there. It's worth building it back. Why? Because the promise is there. God's people will come back. So he knew his word. And often we struggle because we have not magnified his word. So we don't have the answers. So he's just not a man who got his perspective right. He's also a man who knew his word. In chapter 5, right? Words 9 and 10. Words 9 and 10. You will see when a situation happens, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? The first thing he understands is one of the most valuable characteristics in the word of God is the fear of God. He is the top guy among their midst who's got armed security from Jerusalem, from Babylon. He doesn't have to fear anything, but he has a fear of God. These fellows all who are living there have no fear of God. He understands the word of God. Second, stop this usury. They're all breaking the word. They're lending for money. While he says, you know what? I got pots of money and I'm giving it, lending it, and I will not take usury. You know why? Because it is written. But these are things which we need to understand. Because what happens to Christians is when they reach a position of power or reputation or wealth, they decide the laws don't apply to them. And he has reached the highest position any Jew in exile could reach. And he says, I am still under the same rules of God. And I don't break it. You know why? Because he knew his word. He had magnified God's word. And in chapter 6, which we looked yesterday, when a prophet prophesies over him and says, the enemies are there. I have a word of the Lord from you. They are planning to assassinate you. It's, assassins have been already been hired. They're all ready. You need to do something. You need to come with us. Come with me. Let us go into the temple and close the doors behind. He says, no. It's no. You know why? It's sacrilege. I may be the biggest guy around here, but I know who I am and who I am not. I know my limits. You know what? I cannot get into the temple. That's only for the sons of Aaron. And I'm not a son of Aaron. I am not a son of Aaron. I will not trespass in him there, even to save my life. I will not break God's law. So you need to understand this man. He had the right perspective, and he had magnified the word of God. That's how faith operates. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right, no? Uzzah was very familiar. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant was in his father's house for donkey's years. Wherever you turn, the ark is there. After some time, you get very familiar with the ark. And then one day, he's chosen to bring the ark into the kingdom, to Jerusalem. And the oxen stumbled, the ark slipped, and as familiarly, he touched it. He became very familiar. Familiar. No, but this guy won't. He won't become familiar. Okay, And that's what we have to guard our heart from. Okay, That is actual faith. Because what are you hoping for? Whatever you hope for, has to be substantiated by the word of God. Otherwise, your hope is in vain. Faith is a substance. We are all hoping for a crown. At least we are hoping for a crown. But God says, is your hope substantiated by the word of God? Can the word of God judge you? And I'm giving you the word every day. You can judge yourself, he says. Because Jesus says, I myself would not judge you. On that day, the word you have heard will judge you. And by the light of the word that we have heard, does our hope tally with our faith? That's what faith is taught So he had faith. He had discernment. You realize he had very clear discernment. How do we get discernment? How can the Spirit give us discernment? It's a gift of discernment from the Holy Spirit, but how does he give it? Hebrews 5, verse 12 to 14. The Spirit needs some raw material to work on. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... So he listened to a prophet, listened to the prophet's word, and immediately discerned. He's a prophet, but his prophecy is false. Because he's breaking God's word. Trying to tempt me to break God's word. He had discernment, immediate discernment from use. Because he had not. So he's not somebody who is used to just drinking the milk of the word. This is a man who had chewed the meat of God's word. And he had exercised it over and over to use discernment. Right? He had used it in Babylon and is able to use it among the Jews too. Remember in Babylon, he prayed, he fasted, he prayed, he fasted, but he know I have to wait for God's time. <clears throat> this thing is all over burdening me, but I have to wait for God's time. I cannot move. Three months he prayed and fasted. And one day his expression caught the king. Because King Lotus says, Why are you sad? Why are you sad? It's a heaviness of the heart, it's not something else. He was afraid. And then he had discernment exactly how to put it across. Not about Jerusalem, he says about the tombs of my fathers. Because in every Gentile culture, the tombs of the fathers or the tombs of people who have passed away is very important. So he used the words with discernment which would touch a God because this king's father's tomb also would be all huge, big, decorated with guards and all that. So when he brought and the king said, yeah, the tombs of your fathers. Maybe you need to go and fix it. The walls are down. Use discernment. Use discernment. <coughs> what he should ask and what he should not ask, and what he asked, the king agreed and added to that. I give you security also. He had wisdom with the Gentiles. He had the wisdom with the Jews. So he had discernment. How does it come? As we consistently use the word of righteousness. It is not reading important. It's not meditating important. But daily use. Daily use. You no know, daily use. If you simple example for simple people, you try to, you try to carve a chicken. How much time he will take? Go to the butcher. In two minutes he has cut it into pieces, everything and given. You know what? Why use over and over and over and over and over? He knows. We do it, you can't eat that meat later. You know, because there is something inside within which from the bile secretes, we will burst that and the whole meat is gone. Okay, There are two bones. One is like this, the other is like this. Then you have to open the chicken like this. Otherwise, it's gone. We will think this is the easy way, cut it from the middle. Before you know, the whole thing is splattered. You know why? Because we have never used it. That fellow has used it over and over and over again. He's an expert. And God is saying that. The word of God is not for fancy. This is for use into your daily everything. Bring the word of God into application. Ask the spirit of God, bring the word of God into application. You know what? After that, you become very skillful in the word of God. Skillful in the word of God, meaning you're living by faith. You're living by faith. You know how to apply the word in every day. And the devil has no answer to that. Because the whole idea, he cannot kill you. But he can discourage you and depress you. Then the work will stop. Final attempt was only they were trying to assassinate him. But till then they were trying to stop the work of the wall. But whatever they did, the work did not. And if you look into our lives, you know what? So many people, the work just stops. Then after two years, they hear some revival meeting and they start considering their work again. Again after some time. That's why we have revival meetings. What does the meaning of the revival meeting? The walls were started, never finished. Every year, One line. One line, okay? After 10 years, only 10 lines have come in. The wall is still not complete because every year it only work will continue only after the revival meeting. But not these people. Not these people. And that's what the word is talking about. He was a man who magnified the word, was skillful in the word. Third thing we see through the Bible, in chapter chapter 3, is especially about, uh, is about, the gates, it's a summary about the gates of heaven. But if you look at the sixth chapter so far, one, two, four, five, six, it is saturated with prayer. Mm-hmm. He was a man of prayer. Man of prayer. Man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. He could pray for seasons like three months fasting and praying, or he could shotgun shot very effective prayer. He knew both. He could only get an instant Maybe 10 seconds, 30 seconds. So what do you want me to do? 30 seconds he prayed and got an answer. He said, this is Lord, what I want? You look in every chapter, there is a prayer. This six chapters, five chapters. He, every situation he's facing with his enemy, he will pray. And he will take a decision. So he's a man saturated by prayer. So for discernment, remember, you need two things. You need faith, the word of God, and you need to have a prayer life. And then you have discernment. Word of God alone, what happens is that if I use the word of God alone, I am bringing my mind power, brain power, into the word of God and applying it. God says, not that. He didn't say man shall live by brains alone. He didn't say that. He says man shall live by faith alone. But for faith, you have to bring the Spirit of God in. And the vehicle to bring the Spirit of God in is prayer. That's why we pray. That's why we pray. Okay? Because faith comes from hearing. To hear, you have to pray. That's why Jesus woke up early in the morning and started praying. Why? He had to hear. You mean he didn't know the word? He knew the whole word. Inside out. He wrote the word. But he had to hear. And he knew he could not hear without prayer. So he had the word and he heard And you know what? Nehemiah uses, that's what God is saying. Everybody uses the same principles. The principles are not different from man to man. The principles are the same. Magnify my word. Have a very vibrant prayer life. My spirit will speak to you in your situation and you will stand and the work will not stop. And you have to see it's a very, very important work. Fourth thing, okay, as we are concluding chapter six, he did not isolate or insulate himself from the common people. He was not like one of these tele-evangelists, you know, these huge mega-churches. You have to use a telescope to see them. The congregation can live and die with never meeting their pastor. Never know who he is. The pastor has no clue what. And the pastor will be very, very nice by saying that, you know what, I never take a salary from my church. Which is true. Many of them don't take. But if you go to the church, only thing outside the church are their books and castles. And he makes a fortune by selling those books to his people. Even if they had paid him a salary, the salary is no match for what he makes through the books and this thing. If you ask their revenue from the books, it runs into millions. Who buys his own congregation? Every week he turns out a book and gets them to buy $10, $20. Imagine you have a church of 30,000 people and you sell a book for $10 or $20. So you need to understand how these things work, how these things work. But here is a man who has left everything. Okay, he's left everything. And that's what he's talking about. No, he did not isolate or insulate himself from the people, though he was the most powerful man in their midst. And wealthy. Not just powerful. We have powerful people in India, but all of them are not wealthy. And some of them are. Powerful and very wealthy. And he was with them in their trouble and in their work. Both. He was working with them in the working, in the building, the walls of salvation. And he was helping them with his money. So he did not insulate or isolate. So we need to be realized, no? You will never grow in the Lord if you insulate or isolate yourself from the people. Because the doctrine has to be tested in fellowship. If it is not tested in fellowship, the doctrine is just in your head. It still does not become life. The doctrine has to become life and God will send all kind of creepy crawly things into our midst. Why? That was a vision given to Peter. Unclean things, all kind of things. What I have cleansed, don't call it unclean. Does that mean they are kosher? No, they are not. God spoke over them. That doesn't mean their character has changed. They will change. Theirs will change. Yours will also change. Until they came in, you thought you were the most patient man on earth. Until they came. No? No. I'm telling you, in the pastor's con- conference, some of them stink. So they haven't even showered for days and weeks. But you still have to love them. Some some of them are absolute crooks. You still have to be tough and firm with them. And love them through it. Absolute frauds they are. But because of that, do we stop? We cannot stop. We have to continue ministering to them because you know why God hasn't given them. At the end of the day, you look at them, you know. They still come every month for that meal. Lord, one of these days they will get touched. One of these days, one of them is going to ta- get touched, and that is the man who is going to probably change his village. You know, how many years Batima sat under that outside the gate crying? You no, know, ayah, ayah, ayah. Then one day he heard Jesus. Jesus, son of David, changed. That day his life changed. Okay, and he must also have died as a martyr for Jesus Christ, declaring the one who made him see. You know, so we don't give up. But it's very, very easy to, to make the church into a club. A club is different. Sailing club is there. What is that? Only sailors go there. <laughs> right? Sekundarabad club. Can you get entry there? No. You cannot. It's only for those special people. And it is passed down from family to family to family. Highly protective. They won't give it to Nizam's club is there. The church is a club where every kind of people are welcome. Every kind are welcome. Our is slightly restricted because of English. But if it was a Telugu church, every kind would have come. That is why the pastor's conference is different from the English services because in the pastor's conference, most of them are poor. They come from villages, towns. They come walking. They come by. They have a bike. They catch a train. They catch a bus. They come and they are poor. And we are tested with them. We are tested with them. And for those of you who serve there, it is a test for you to treat them the way you treat me. It's no different. The office is the same. You don't know whether he's a pastor or not, so it's not yours to judge. Leave that to me. I will cast them one-on-one and talk to them. Where is your church? Show me something about your church. No, Once in a while, then they'll know I had, I retired. So you're a retired pastor now. It is okay. Just sit over there. Okay, it's fine. But you have to be very, very careful. This is a test for us. That is why God allows all these things. So he did not insulate or isolate himself. And the fifth, above all, what is most needed, he had endurance. I'm telling you, there's nothing more important than endurance. Right? Matthew 10, verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But you endure to the end. You see how what he put it together? Hatred and endurance. He didn't say he who endures till the end. He didn't say you have to endure in the midst of unseen demonic hatred towards the gospel and the people of God. You're going to go through that I mean, the church is going through that. Especially the church that the few refuses to buckle under pressure. You are going to be called every name under the sky. Intolerant, you are this, homophobic, you are. Now they'll create more phobic names, transgender phobic or whatever names they want to call you. Call, but we know, we are not phobic about them. We actually care for them. These people don't. Mm. You know, but what is says? Will you endure it and continue preaching to them? Like David will cut them when when do the gangs? And they said, "If you come here again, we'll cut you into a thousand pieces." He says, "Every piece will cry out to you that I love you." Broke them, ultimately, broke them. Okay, and that's what the Bible is talking about. Okay, will we endure? Twenty-four to thirteen. Yeah, Matthew twenty-four thirteen. He who endures to the end shall be saved. You know, he endured. A lot of people wanted, almost everybody wanted to give up this work. He refused. Thank God he was the leader. Because if the leader gives up, everybody gives up. Everybody gives up. He refused to give up. He refused. And that's one thing in, in, like I said, everybody is a leader. (laughs) If nobody is following you, your shadow is. Whether your shadow will stand straight or not is whether you will endure or not. Why do a lot of people become nothing in life? Because they just gave up. Just gave up. Let us say you are married. Husbands are here, wives are there, and your marriage is on the rocks. One partner refuses to give up. I heard an incredible line of a man who told his wife, If you ever leave me, I promise you I will follow you. They were having a fight. So she was saying that I'm gonna back up and I will leave. He said, if you ever leave me, I promise you I will follow And that <laughs> broke the ice okay. Okay. You Think about it, right? Is it worth fighting for? Are these things worth fighting for? For the world it doesn't matter. For us, things matter. Marriages matter. Why? Because so God said so. Children matter. The world children don't matter. A dispensable commodity. Not to be invested in. World, if you ask, what is children? Education, put them, get a job, let them get married and let them go. For us, it is from birth till death. It's a spiritual. The only thing God has given to us from heaven is our children. So God says, will you give up on these? Will you give up on those things? That's what Bible says. When you're talking about endurance, God is saying, will you endure in these battles? How quickly people give up. How quickly people do And the salvation of an unsaved loved one. That's why I loved Ken Christmas' testimony about his older son. Boy, that father refused to give up. He refused to give up. After the child has gone and joined the gay community, he refused to give up. Continued ministering and continued praying. It's a lot of people give up and okay, hopeless, I'm fine. They, go, they themselves go into depression. That means you have been endured. You have to do both. You have to continue your work. Remember, he continued his work. Oh, there is so much attack to stop him. Remember when these things happen, especially to us who are in the ministry, it will happen to our children. Why? Because the children are the weakest links. Why are our children, the children of pastors attacked more than other children? to stop the pastor from preaching. Why are the marriages of pastors attacked more than others? to stop them from preaching. The question is, will you preach or will you quit? Will you preach or will you quit? That is the whole thing. And we need to understand, we have to understand these things that it is to stop us. And this man refuses to stop. This man refuses to endurance. Second Thessalonians 1:4, 2nd Timothy 2:10. I just want to look at that. And then we will pray. We ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience. Basically, that means endurance and faith in. All persecutions and tribulations that you endure. The persecutions and the tribulation that you are enduring in Thessalonica, is telling the church, he says... This is gone. How did it go everywhere? Because Paul used to go everywhere and says, you know about the church in Thessalonica? You know, when I come from missions, I'll always talk about two people or three people over there. And then after some time, it goes around, you know. This place, there were these three kids or these two kids and it you know, goes around. You know why? Because who do we boast about? We boast about those who are able to endure. See, if in my meeting, which I preach for eight hours, a pastor is sitting there, there's nothing to boast. He's supposed to sit there. (laughs) But if a class 7 kid sits for five days in the first row without blinking, without nodding, then I will say, you know what? We'll boast about this one. Because enduring that has endurance for the word of God. So that's how he's boasting. Can you endure? Can you endure? Second Timothy 2.10 Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. That is what Nehemiah is doing. This is God's people. This is a God's city, and these are God's city walls. I'm going to endure all things. Just think about it. What kind of comfort he must have lived in Susa, and where is he sleeping? On the ground, in the trenches. I, that's what Paul is. Paul comes from a very well-to-do family. Supposed to be a very rich guy left everything, and where is he? If you look at the list of what he goes through, if you ask him, why are you doing this? He says, for the sake of the elect. That's God's elect. God loves them, I love them. And the only way, I, can't, I can never pay back for what he did for me. But if I can, anything I can do for him, this is what I can do for him. This is my service for him, for what he did for me. This life on earth, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pour out my life for his elect. Because you know why? He poured out, His life for me, of each sinners, the worst. This is what he did for me. This is what I want to do for him. What can I do for him? What I can do for his people, because he needs nothing. Hebrews 6.15 And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. We have to endure it patiently. So you will see. He endured he built. 52 days, the walls were complete. They have more verses. 12, 2, 12, 7, James 1, 12. These are all about endurance. 52 days, and the walls were complete. And the enemy was defeated in all his attempts. And at the end, what happens? God is glorified from the mouths of the enemy. The enemy says, the hand of God is upon them in this work. We couldn't stop them. Look at how they finished. Fifty two days it is over. The impossible becomes possible. End note it does not mean your enemies are going away. Mm-hmm. Building the walls is only the first step. After that comes building the nation, the life of faith inside. The walls of the building, okay? Everybody, you know, husband and wife, they come, miss the hundred visits they make when the construction is going. Oh, no, no, I didn't like this. I want this thing, this thing, everything. And everything is finally to their satisfaction. After that, they have to live inside. Mm-hmm. That is when the walls are tested. Can the walls hold the family together? That's the whole idea. Otherwise, it's a beautiful construction. What is happening inside? That will start from chapter 7 onwards, and you will see after that you realize the life that has to be lived inside. Because the enemy is not going to give you, oh, I finished the wall, so the enemy is going to give up. The enemy is not going to give up. And in that you will see how many people who live inside, those who actually lend their shoulders to build the wall, are so completely compromised with their alliance with the enemy. That's the last two verses, 17 to 19, three verses remember in the beginning we had said Sanbalat Tobiah and Geshem Sanbalat represents Satan Tobiah is my flesh and Geshem is the world also in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came to them for many in Judah were pledged to him because he was a son-in-law of Shekhaniah, son of Ara. His son Jehonan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Also they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him and Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Do you see what's happening over there? What is happening is only Nehemiah knows the actual state of what is happening over there. These guys don't know what is actually happening? But he is good. He doesn't tell everything to you like I tell my wife. No, you don't have to know everything. <laughs> Why mess up your mind? You've got enough to break. <laughs> you don't have to know everything. Because if you know everything, it will only spoil your mind. Imagine you call all the Tavaya, all the nobles who are intermarried with Tovaya's family and says, Do you know who this fellow is? Suddenly there is tension in the camp. And they're all sending. They all come and say, you know, Tabaya is such a nice guy. And he doesn't tell them the letters Tabaya writes to him. Are you getting it? They're writing to Tobiah, Tobiah is writing to them, and Tobiah is writing to Nehemiah. But letters he writes to Nehemiah is different. And Tobiah doesn't tell them. He will deal with all this step by step by step. He will deal with them. meaning. He says, you know what? Walls are all things. And then we nicely go out into the world and suddenly we see a connection from the flesh to the world the flesh is writing letters to the world the world is writing flesh and where are we living in Jerusalem the flesh is in cahoots we got an enemy inside married many many alliances it has made and the flesh is reporting good deeds they reported his good deeds before me isn't that true when we want to fast how many good deeds does the flesh post Right? We want to pray, flesh starts reporting good deeds. So only walls have been built. Life hasn't begun, but we need walls first. what to keep out, what to, and the gates, what to let in. But the life is going to be lived. and that is where what we say in English, the rubber meets the road. And you will see at every step, Nehemiah is wise and he uses a discernment how to handle it, how to handle it. And he realizes, if he doesn't handle it wisely, the whole work will go in vain. Walls don't build a home. The life that is lived in, that builds. Walls only build a house. Can only build a house. Only God can build a home. Can use the best materials, best workers perseverance, hard work and build the walls. But the life that has to be lived inside that walls is what matters and that is where we are going to have issues. Like starting a church is very easy. These days you can hire everything including pastor and worship team. Everything can be hired. Sound, Not the sound system alone. Everything can be hired. In the first church before I pastored Gates, Grace, Darrow before that there was a a hired professionals were there. They would come and go to the next one. There are plenty there in the service after hours. Also there are hired pastors, hired uh, uh, worship people are all there. It's very easy to start. But that's not a church. It's not a church. That's just a building. The church is the people. Church is the people. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. And where, they, where where were they gathering? They were gathering in the temple courts every day. And what is the temple? Where people were all going to worship. That was a building. But within the building, outside on the courts, God's kingdom was being framed. The set of people who were living together and sharing each other's burden, the rich and the poor. Everybody living together, coming together for the doctrine. The doctrine is being lived out. Where are they gathering? In the temple courts. But is it anything happening in the temple? Nothing. It's just a service going on. But the real life is there. The real life is there. Like we say, say, the real life is not on Sunday morning. It is Monday to Saturday. That is where what happened on Sunday is played out. And if that is not real, then Sunday was a drama. And we were actors. But God did not enjoy the show. (laughs) So we shall pray and this morning as we go to pray we pray for people who are not well we have a brother in australia who's in the ic what he'll come through there was a brother who was missing for 5 hours like we prayed and i, I also said ma also i said he's injured somewhere hidden he's not dead he's not dead you now sometimes that's why we need to. that's one of the things i will tell you is this for all of you who pray when you pray you have to hear otherwise you will carry this burden like i will tell um about brother David. I didn't even visit him. Ask her. I said he won't die. Said, he won't die. He'll come out. He won't die. I don't know when he will die, but I said he is not going to die when they are saying that he's finished. It's over. I said he's not going to die. I said I know what I prayed and his God said he's not going to die now. So you don't have to worry about it. See, when you don't hear, you know the burden is so heavy. Lord, what is going to happen? Lord, what's going to happen? Lord, what's going to happen? You're not able, you're not really praying. You're worrying in your prayer. And that's why it's so important when the Christ, because what happens is if you don't hear, it affects your function in other areas, other areas. So simple thing is that when you are praying, listen to the voice of God in your spirit. You will tell it very, very, you will have that, you will hear it very clearly. I'm, I'm not saying always. I know in this recent week, I know it happened with this brother David, his brother with the man who was missing, uh, and anyway, he was not going to. Die. I said, "Told you, you'll find it somewhere, beaten up, lying in the desert. They will find him; he's not dead." And then about brother Lin too, he'll come through. It's not going to go. He'll come through. It's not over. Okay. So we don't. We are not worried about ICU. Okay. When they say ICU, we have to realize, Lord, let him see you. <laughs> that is our only thing here. Very nicely, clearly have visions, dreams, have a good time, and come out. And actually pray for those people who are outside, who worry. Not all of them, some of them. Come baby. You know? Because God actually peaks, speaks best to people in the ICO. We'll pray. Father, this morning we just come to you Lord in the name of Jesus. We just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you Lord. We have a living God. A God who speaks. A God who is all-powerful, absolutely, totally in control of every detail of every child of his. That's why he said, do not worry. For pagans worry. Don't run after these things. Pagans run after these things. Don't keep asking about all these things because your father already knows what you need. Our prayer life is different, completely, Lord. We have men and women who stand in the breach. We are people who are building the walls. We are people who are part of king's army that is building his kingdom. Our concern is about the kingdom. We have a cause that is bigger than life itself. We know the work we are doing is a great work because God has put his name on his people. If God gave His name to Jerusalem, He has given His name to His church now. And He's given us a promise. The gates of hell will never, ever prevail against that building called the church of the living God. And that's what we are building. So you're building with a hope. Everything that we build on earth will one day collapse. You will retire. Your medals are thrown away. You die. Somebody takes the work of your hands everything on earth has an end except the kingdom of God. It's forever and ever. And therefore, we who work in the kingdom, every one of us, in whatever way we do it, it is a great work. And we will not listen to the voices of this world who will tell us, come down and parlay with us. No, we are not coming down with you. Because the work that we are doing is a great work. and We will not leave it to come and dilly-dally with you we will stand at our post and we will keep on building the kingdom of God. Our lives, our homes, God's people will keep on building those lives. And as we face this assault of the enemy through sickness, through oppression, through attacks, we stand there firm. As Paul said, I am not moved by any of these things. For against sickness, we have our God who is the healer. Against oppression, we have our God who is the deliverer. And with unsaved loved ones, we have our God who is the savior. And every storm that you raise in our life, we have the power and authority to speak and say, be still. Because I have gone a journey onto the other side and I will not let any storm stop me. Commissioned by God. Come, let us go to the other side. No storm can stop us. No wave can sink us. Because it is at the voice of the Lord that we started this journey. Knowing very well the good work that he has begun, he is faithful to complete it. He will in everyone, here, listening, in every nation, what God has begun in you, he is faithful. Put your trust in his faithfulness. As Nehemiah told the people, the good hand of the Lord is upon us. And they were encouraged and they put their hand to that work. He kept on encouraging. God is with us. God is for us in this work. And everyone who has put their hand on the plow, whatever you are doing, it doesn't matter what it is. If it is for the king and the kingdom, it's a great work. And it will come back to fruit. And you will receive its reward one day. Don't give up. Don't give up. Never, never give up. Because the king has commissioned us. Kingdom people never quit. They face the storm. They face the enemy. They face everything the enemy has to throw. But they stand there firm, holding up the shield of faith. You can shoot your fiery darts, but I am covered by the breastplate of righteousness. And in my hand, we have the shield of faith. And by faith, we owe.